Well, we've been uh, in this series called From Beginning to End, Every Story Whispers His Name. And this morning we continue in that. And uh, we're going a little bit out of order. So uh, we're going to flip-flop this weekend and next weekend. So if you're following along in your um, Jesus Storybook Bible, um, we're going to skip the week that was supposed to be this week and go to the next week. And then we'll come back to it next week. So if that all made sense. Um, So turn your attention and uh, let's hear the story for this morning. A little girl and a poor, frail lady. There was once a little girl who didn't get out of bed one morning, or the next, or the next. In fact, she didn't get out of bed for a whole month. She was very sick, and no one knew how to make her better. Jairus was her daddy, and he loved her. One day, he was sitting by her bed, holding her hand, wishing there was something he could I know, he said. He jumped to his feet, put on his coat, kissed his daughter, ran down the step, step, steps, past the servants, out of the house, through the gates, along the road, into the town, up the step, step, steps, and into the temple. He fought his way through all the people until at last he found who he was looking for. Jesus, he said falling at Jesus' feet. My daughter, he pleaded, please, but he didn't need to beg, because before he'd even finished speaking, Jesus reached out his hand and helped him up. I'll come at once, Jesus said. Jairus' eyes filled with tears. Jesus was coming. It would be all right. In those days, of course, they didn't have ambulances, so they had to go by foot. Jesus' helpers knew that he would heal the sick girl, but they must hurry. If Jesus didn't get there soon, it would be too late. But everyone was in the way, hustling and bustling, jostling and pressing, pushing and shoving, squishing and squashing. The disciples ran ahead, forcing back the crowd. Suddenly, Jesus stopped. His friends looked back. What was he doing? Who touched me? Jesus asked, because he felt power go out of him. Me, said a frail lady, looking down at the ground because she was ashamed. The poor lady had been sick for twelve years, and she had to get well. She knew if she only touched Jesus' coat, she would be healed. So she touched his coat, and instantly she was well. We don't have time, Jesus' friends said. But Jesus always had time. He reached out his hands and gently lifted her head. He looked into her eyes and smiled. You believed, he said, wiping a tear from her eye. And now you are well. Just then, Jairus' servant rushed up to Jairus. It's, it's too late, he said breathlessly. Your daughter 
is dead. Jesus turned to Jairus. It's not too late, Jesus said. Trust me. At Jairus' house, everyone was crying. But Jesus said, I'm going to wake her up. Everyone laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Jesus walked into the little girl's bedroom, and there, lying in the corner, in the shadows, was the still little figure. Jesus sat on the bed and took her pale hand. Honey, he said, it's time to get up. And he reached down into death and gently brought the little girl back to life. The little girl woke up, rubbed her eyes as if she had just had a good night's sleep and leapt out of bed. Jesus threw open the shutters and sunlight flooded the dark room. Hungry? Jesus asked. She nodded. Jesus called to her family. Bring this little girl some breakfast. Jesus helped and healed many people like this. He made blind people see. He made deaf people hear. He made lame people walk. Jesus was making the sad things come untrue. He was mending God's broken world. We want to say hello to the people in F3 this morning. Thank you for coming. And for those of you who are joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. And there's no way that we would show favoritism to anybody watching online, but hi, Mom and Dad. Um, watching from Michigan, joining us from Michigan. So <clears throat> there was a guy named Dr. Robert Cook. He was the president of King's College, and I was reading a little bit about him, and uh, you should look him up. Uh, he, he did a lot of things in his lifetime. He went home to be with Jesus in 1991. Uh, there's a story about him that in, in the 1980s where he was sharing the stage with uh, President Reagan at the time, and uh, he was sitting right next to him, and, and someone... Uh, after the presentation was over, Dr. Cook got off the stage and a young man approached him and he said, Dr. Cook, what was it like uh, being able to, be, to talk to, to Ronald Reagan? And he said, son, I, I talked to God today. And uh, I, I thought that was a great response. This morning, we're, we're going to be talking to Jesus. We're going to be talking about Jesus. And uh, the, the story in Luke 8, 40 through 56 is really it's about Jesus and how amazing he is. Jesus, as we will see today, is gentle and humble. But Jesus is also mighty God, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Isaiah tells us that God is gentle and, and cares for his people, that he's a comforter, and that he's personally involved in, in people's lives. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock in his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes, the gentleness of God. Isaiah also says that there's no one like God, that he is great and that he is amazing. Isaiah 40, 12 through 13 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? Our God is great 
and he's majestic, and he's also gentle and humble. No wonder David praised him in Psalm 145 and said, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And then he says this, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works I will meditate. And, and, and I hope my, my, my hope this morning as we, as we talk about Jesus and as we look at Jesus and what he did is that, that we would behold him, that we would, as, as, as we see uh, in the scriptures, that we are to fix our eyes on him. And, and we can do that as we meditate on the scriptures, as we read the scriptures, as we, as we seek him in prayer. He makes so many promises that if we draw near to him, he draws near to us, that he is near some, or, or, or Philippians 4, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And, and so the Lord is near. And so we're going to be looking um, at, at Luke 8, 40 through 56, and we're looking at the greatness of Jesus and yet how gentle and humble and approachable he is. Luke 8, 40 says this, and as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they, had been, for they all had been waiting for him. Jesus' wondrous life demonstrates that, that he is the Messiah. Uh, the people had waited for so long for the Messiah to come, and the day had, the day had arrived. News was traveling fast of, of what this man, Jesus, was doing all over the land. Look what Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. So God, God is light. Notice what he then says in Isaiah 9, 6. And the go, or for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Ever Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus said about himself, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Jesus' wonderful, wondrous life demonstrates that, that he was and is the Messiah. And, it, and, and the news was spreading. That's why they wanted to welcome him. They were, they were waiting for him uh, as he came back from, from, his, from his trip. So not only is his wondrous life uh, demonstrate that he's Messiah, but his words demonstrate that he is the wonderful counselor. I, I was spending some time reading, and I only went back to Luke 6 as I was thinking about the passage that we're talking about today, and, and it, it is fast-paced, and, and Jesus' ministry is in high gear, and he's doing some amazing things. Not only is he doing some amazing things, but he's saying some amazing things. The words demonstrate that he is the wonderful counselor. He taught life-giving truths he taught with authority. Um, in Mark chapter 1, verse 22, it says, the people were amazed at his teaching, meaning they almost lost mental composure because what Jesus was saying was so life-changing and so full of authority and so full of grace and truth because Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus even said that in, in Luke 6, 43 through 45, he, he told the people that <clears throat> everything you do comes from your heart. The words that you say, the actions that you do, your motives, everything comes from the heart. That's why a victim mindset is just not even an option. 
for us who know Jesus because Jesus says the things that you do, everything comes from the heart. And then he said that if you don't listen and obey my words and act on them, he said basically your life will be in ruin. That was Luke 6.49. It's a paraphrase, but it's the, it's the story where he says, build your house on the rock. But those who build it on sand, when the storm comes, great will be the fall of, of that house, of that life. Build our, build our lives on the word of God and the person of Christ who is our rock. And so he said some amazing things. He's called the wonderful counselor because we can go to his word and in times of anxiety, times of depression, times of struggle, uh, good times, we see his words speaking to us. God is speaking to us in his word and he's giving us hope and encouragement and strength. His word is uh, what Psalm 19.7 says, that the law of the Lord is perfect for restoring the soul completely sufficient for restoring our soul in, in, in the sense of helping us to become more and more like Jesus. He's a wonderful counselor. Not only did his words um, demonstrate that he was a wonderful counselor, but his works demonstrated that he is mighty God that Isaiah 9, 6 was telling us about. You know, it's amazing as you read through, um, just like I said, Luke 6 through 8, I encourage you to do it sometime this week, and, and just go through and see all the amazing things that Jesus did and shows that he's God. One of the things is I, I, I noticed that he knew exactly what the Pharisees were thinking in, in Luke 6, 8. He knew exactly what they were thinking. Can you imagine someone looking at you and telling you what you're thinking? That'd be scary. And that's what Jesus did. He knew what they were thinking. He knew, or he was able to, Heal a man's withered hand in, in Luke 6:10. Stretch out your hand, and the man's hand was healed. The power of mighty God. He healed the centurion's slave in Capernaum in, in Luke 7, 1 through 10. And, and he marveled at the centurion's faith. He loved the centurion's faith because he knew that Jesus could heal him. He raised a dead man to life. As he was passing by a funeral procession, he saw the woman weeping. It was her only son. Her husband had died. And Jesus showed compassion, it says, and he went up to the casket and he placed his hand on the casket and then he touched the man who was unclean. doesn't matter. When Jesus, who is the clean one, touches unclean, the man came to life and he told him to arise and his spirit immediately returned. That was Jesus. That's what Jesus is doing. He is mighty God. He was curing many people of diseases and afflictions, as the video reminded us, and, and people with evil spirits. And he was giving sight to the blind, uh, Luke 7, 21 tells us. And then Jesus calmed the storm. <clears throat> they went over to the other side to Gerasenes, and, and, and as they were going, Jesus was asleep, and the storm uh, was raging, and the disciples were fearful, and, and they woke him up, and, and Jesus calmed the storm with a word. That's mighty God. It was calm. And then he looked at the disciples and he said, where's your faith? Because faith is important to Jesus. He loves and delights in faith. And as they were going over to Gerasenes, he, they, he was greeted by, by a man who was filled with many demons. And, the, and, and uh, they identified themselves as legion. And Jesus cast out the demons uh, into pigs. And, and they went rushing off over the cliff. Because the demons recognized that Jesus was the Son of God, the mighty God. And they were fearful of him and asked Jesus, don't torment me. Amazing. That's mighty God. 
And so after he cast out the demons, he went back to Capernaum. And that's where we pick up in Luke 8, verse 40. The people were waiting for him because his reputation was spreading like wildfire. And some people had witnessed some of the things that Jesus had done. And as as we come to our story, um, I want to talk about how the heart of Jesus was encountered by, by two people, by three people, a lot of people, but we'll focus on just a few. The heart of Jesus was encountered by Jairus. And last night I said Jairus. Can you believe it? It's Jairus. Jairus. Everybody say it with me. Jairus. Yeah. I'm not going to do that anymore. If I do, just be gracious. So Jairus, he encountered Jairus. He encountered this suffering woman. And he encountered the little girl. And they, and, and they all encountered the heart of Jesus. And, and before... Before we look at those encounters, I, I want to just look at um, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. There's a wonderful book by a guy named Dane Ortland. He wrote this book called Gentle and Lowly. Some of the thoughts that I'm going to mention here were taken from there. But look at what he, Jesus says in, in, um, in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Out of 89 chapters in the, in the four Gospels, this is the only time where Jesus actually says, this is what my heart is like. This is my heart. And, and he tells us, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the Bible, the heart is referred to as the control center of who we are, the inner person. It's not a part of us. The heart is not a part of us or a part of who we are. It is who we are. It is, the part of, it, is, it is us who, who communes with Jesus, who will spend eternity with God. And, and this is the heart of Jesus. It is who he is. And he says that he is gentle and that he is humble. Can you imagine? Mighty God, everlasting Father, creator of the universe, who spoke a word and all of this came into existence, is gentle and humble? The idea of Jesus being gentle is that, that he's meek that strength under control. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh in any way. He's not reactionary or easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms to you and me. You always know what you're going to get with Jesus. How incredible is that? Jesus is gentle. But Jesus is humble. He's tender. He's open. He's welcoming and accommodating, and he's understanding and he's and the willingness to meet just with you and to me. Whenever he's always open to that. Jesus is gentle and humble. That is the heart of Jesus. Jesus is not that way to everybody, I just want to say. Jesus is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus hates pride. Jesus hates pride because pride says, I don't need Jesus. I got this. Pride was in Genesis chapter 3. Pride does not trust in Christ or depend on him. You know, a number of years ago, I heard uh, Jesse Ventura. Uh, I, I, at first, when I heard it, I was going, that, that, that's not very nice to say. He, he said that uh, Christianity is a crutch. And I was like, wow, I was kind of offended by that. And, uh, and then I thought about it more. No, he's not even, he's, he didn't even, you need to take it further. Christianity is a stretcher. <laughs> I, got, I got nothing. 
And, and Jesus hates pride, and, and, but he loves the humble. Jesus says, come to me. He invites us to come to him as his children. He doesn't turn us away, and he says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That word easy is the same word that is used in Ephesians 4.32 where we're told to be kind to one another. It's the word for kindness. So the yoke that Jesus is offering us is a yoke of kindness, which is no surprise because in Psalm 145, verse 17, we're told that the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Everything that God does in our lives comes through a filter of his kindness because that's who he is. And we're told in Ephesians 2, chapter 7, one of the reasons we were saved is that so that for all eternity, for the ages to come, we would be objects of his kindness. That's what we have to look forward to, is being on the receiving end of God's kindness, as we are now. But that's just incredible. This is the way Jesus is. This is the heart of our Savior and of our God. And he wants us to know that, because I think we can tend to, oh, he doesn't, wanna, he doesn't want me to come now. I, I, this is the 10th time I've done this this morning or whatever. Jesus is saying, come to me. I love you. He's done everything that we need through his death and resurrection to make that possible because of the, the blood that he shed on our behalf. And so it, it is a yoke of kindness. So this is what Jairus and this is what the suffering woman encountered with Jesus was the heart of Jesus. So let's look at the suffering woman for a moment. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read in verse 43 of Luke 8. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She had been suffering for 12 years. This was a woman with great suffering, bleeding for 12 years. Tony Evans said this about this woman. He said, <clears throat> The woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years was financially ruined, having spent every penny on doctors who couldn't help her, and actually her medication was, or her, her condition became worse. Moreover, her medical condition would have, been, would have made her ceremonially unclean, like Leviticus 15 says, affecting her ability to worship at the temple and to have contact with people. Thus, her physical problem led to financial, spiritual, and social problems. She was isolated and alone. She was suffering. Can you imagine hearing about Jesus? His reputation was spreading. The crowds were gathering around him. And the only thing she wanted to do, she was desperate. But she believed. Because this story is, is recorded in th th two other Gospels, Matthew and Mark. And we're told that in, in one of them, I think it's Mark, where, where we're told what she's thinking as she's approaching Jesus. If I can just get to him. He can save me. I can get well. He can be my deliverer, is basically what she was saying. And so she went to him. And, <clears throat> and it says here that she touched him, and Jesus felt power go out of him. And here is what Jesus said to her. And, and this, this short sentence is, is so power-packed, I think. And it just shows us the heart of Jesus. It shows us that he's the mighty God, 
It shows us that he's the prince of peace that Isaiah 9 talks about. Listen, look at this. He says, daughter. This shows the gentle and humble heart of Jesus, his concern for her. This is in the, what, what's, I guess, what's called the, the vocative case, where he's basically saying, he's looking at her and he's saying, it's only you and me. The whole crowd that is surrounding uh, them, he just looks at her and he gives her his complete attention and he says, daughter. And, and she knew by the way he was talking, it's just me and Jesus right now. And then he says, daughter to her because it was a term of endearment. He wanted to know, he wanted her to know um, it's just you and me, but, and I also want you to know how precious you are to me. I love you. And he called her daughter. While suffering physically, socially, spiritually, economically, her life had changed that day. Her life before Jesus, before her God, changed that day. Her body changed that day, immediately, because Jesus says, your faith, your faith, what is, why, why mention her faith? Because God delights in our faith. He loves faith. Your faith has made you well. Made you well. How, 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 who's making you well? God, mighty God, responds to her faith and makes her well. He heals her immediately. Only God can do that. The one who knit her together in her mother's womb was standing right before her, and she touched him, and he healed her. That's amazing. Mighty God. And then he tells her to go in peace. The prince of peace, who says in John 14, 7, 27, he says, my peace I, I give to you, not as the world gives, but, but I'm giving you my peace. It's incredible. He gives, he tells her to go in peace, and now she has the peace of Jesus in her heart. It reminds me of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When, when he says, when he offers his peace, he's offering himself. That's the kind of peace, his presence he says, pray, talk to me about your anxiousness. Talk to me about it. Ask me for things in regards to your anxiousness. Ask me. But, but be thankful because I'm working and I'm promising you my peace, the peace of Jesus, the prince of peace. And so this woman encountered the heart of Jesus, gentle and humble. And then we have Jairus. Oh, Jairus, can you believe it? You guys didn't stop me. That's, that's on you. Even though I just said words come from the heart. I, I, okay. Jairus encountered the heart of Jesus. <clears throat> Let's look at uh, Jairus in Psalm 40. Or Psalm, you want to go to Psalm? Let's go to Luke. Psalm, so, Luke four, uh, 8, 41. And there came a man named Jairus. He was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And so you have, you have Jairus, who is desperate. His daughter is dying. And he knows that Jesus, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one who can heal her. And he goes to him and he implores. 
He is earnest because he is, has desperate faith. But he has to wait because Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Can you imagine? Time is of the essence. Then, while, he's taught, while Jesus finishes with the, the suffering woman, someone comes from his home and says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. What kind of news is that? That, that is just, can you imagine the heart of Jairus? But in Luke 8.50, Jesus speaks words of hope. He says, but when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. Jesus cared greatly for Jairus. He responded to his faith. And he wanted him to know, you know what? As, as, the, as the wonderful counselor, as, as the prince of peace, do not be afraid. He speaks hope in a time of deep grief. And he says, again, mentioning faith, only believe because Jesus delights in faith. And then he promises, as mighty God, he promises, she will be made well. Jesus is gentle and humble at heart. He's also the one, we're told in John chapter 1, who brought everything into being. Without him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. He's the creator. We're told in Hebrew, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, that he is the exact representation of the Father. That Jesus and the Father are one, according to John 10, 30. But yet he's gentle and he's, and he's, and he's humble. So we've, we've looked at how Jesus' reputation was spreading, um, we, how Jesus, people encountered the heart of Jesus, and, and then we want to see how the deity of Jesus was on display. One of the ways that the deity of Jesus was on display, I want to mention, is I believe through Jairus, Jairus' worship of Jesus. In, in, in Mark, we're told that, <clears throat> uh, that Jesus, or, or that when Jairus, Jairus went to... Um, to Jesus. In Luke, it says he fell at his feet. In one of the other accounts, it says, in Matthew, it says that he bowed before Jesus. And that word bowed talks, has, has to do with worship. And so he fell at the feet of Jesus and he worshiped him. And what is interesting is Jesus didn't say, hey, no, we don't do that here. Jesus received his worship because Jesus knew who he was. He's mighty God. And so <clears throat> we, we also see um, through the suffering woman's faith that she, she realized that Jesus was the one who could save her. And Jesus ver verifies this by saying, power has left me. Can you imagine? I, I've, I've never had that experience. Someone touched me and say, oh, power has left me. Uh, never happened to me. And I, I know it didn't happen to you either. But it happened to Jesus because he is mighty God. His deity is on display. His deity is on display when he says, she will be made well. And, <clears throat> and, uh, and also to the woman who, who was healed. His deity was on display also when, um, through his power and perfections. And, and what I mean by that is the woman was unclean. The little girl who he touched was unclean. And it isn't like um, in, in the Old Testament we say if people touch someone unclean, they become they became unclean for a time and had to offer sacrifice for that or had to wait. But not, not so with Jesus because Jesus is God. Listen to what Dane Ortland says about this. Um, 
When Jesus, the clean one, touched an unclean sinner, Christ did not become unclean. The sinner became clean. The high and holy Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. We naturally think of Jesus touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time, faced face all scoured, cautiously extending an arm, giving a yelp of disgust upon contact, and instantly withdrawing. We picture the risen Christ approaching us with a severe or sour disposition. This is why we need our Bibles. Our natural intuition can only give us a God like ourselves. The God revealed in the Scripture deconstructs our intuitive preferences and startles us with one whose infinitude of perfections is matched by his infinitude of gentleness. Indeed, his perfections include his perfect gentleness. Jesus is God because what he touched changed, not him. He healed. He made clean. We see that the, the deity of Jesus um, through the raising of the 12-year-old girl from death to life. He says, child, arise. Child, arise. Um, look at uh, 54 through 56 of Luke. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately and gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. And so we see that, again, Jesus, in, in Numbers 19.11, it says, The one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. Not Jesus, because he's God. And he's the one who brought the little girl to life. Um, in, uh, in one of the other accounts, it, well, it, it says that the parents were amazed here. It, it says that um, in Matthew that they were astounded. Almost lost mental composure is the word. Isn't that amazing? I guess I think I would too. Is this really happening? And this is the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, and we see that um, Jesus was, uh, his deity, um, through stating what was about to be true amidst unbelief. Because when he arrived, people were mourning. And he said, she's, she's not dead, she's only asleep. And the people responded by laughing at him, by mocking him. And in an uh, in a, in a, in a atmosphere of unbelief, Jesus says, that, that's not true. She's about to be alive. And even in the midst of unbelief, Jesus performs this miracle because Jairus and his wife believed. And, and Jesus loves faith. Well, the response that Jesus delights in is faith. The response Jesus delights in is faith. And we see that through um, the, the passages in Luke that I mentioned earlier. Um, he loved the, the centurion's faith. He, he marveled at his faith, he says, in Luke 7, 9. He questioned the disciples about their faith in the boat. It was important to him. Uh, Jesus knew or Jesus knows when someone reaches out to him in faith like he did the woman. Um, <clears throat> Jesus told the woman it was because of her faith. He told Jairus, only believe and your daughter will be made well. Uh, by faith, Jairus took Jesus to his house knowing that his daughter was dead because he believed what Jesus could do. And I just want to mention just for a moment, you know, Jesus, he's so amazing. This passage is about our amazing Savior and God, Jesus Christ. And Jesus offers you the free gift of salvation, the free gift of forgiveness. 
if you would place your trust in Jesus. For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. But listen to what Jesus says to the unsaved person who's not placed their trust in Jesus if they do not believe. Because remember, Jesus loves and delights in faith. John 8, 24, Jesus said this, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He offers salvation. We must trust and believe in who he is and what he's done. <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You can place your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins this morning if you've not done that already. He loves you, and he died for you, and he rose again, and he is amazing. What does God say to his children who already have put their trust in him about faith and how we respond to him? He says in Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Jesus delights in faith. The Father delights in our faith. Faith comes to God believing two things, according to Hebrews eleven six. 6. Number one, uh, <clears throat> faith comes to God believing that he is, that he exists, that he is who he says he is in God's word, that he is, that he is amazing, that he is God, that he is sovereign, that he is good, that he is loving, that he is merciful, that he is gracious. It believes what the word of God says about him. It believes that God says, my eternal life in John 17, 3 is, is all about knowing the Father and the Son. I, I, I want to believe that. I want to trust in that. It, it is this idea that, that we believe what God says about himself, and the only way we can know what God says about himself is if we are people of the word of God. He's written a book about himself, and we, can, and we can discover, and he will disclose himself to us, he says. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. What is the reward? I, I thought of a few of, what, of things that, that God promises, rewards. I, I, the reward of, of, of Jesus himself, of the very presence of Christ. He promises his presence with us. He says he'll draw near to us. He promises his grace. In Philippians 4.23, I love it. It's just a short little verse. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I love that. The intimacy of the presence of Jesus with us. <clears throat> um, Alistair Begg said this. He says, we can behold Jesus in a manger. We can behold him on the cross. We can behold him walking out of a tomb. And we can behold him... <clears throat> Uh, ascending into heaven, beholding Christ. We behold Christ in the word of Christ. That's why I believe in Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. What, a, what an amazing gift we've been given in the word. But he rewards us with his grace and his presence. Today we can fix our eyes on Christ. And, and, and I believe that in, in the written word of God, he, he reveals the living word of God, who is Christ. Every story of the Bible whispers his name. Some of them shout his name, like this one. 
I was struggling this past week as I was coming uh, to my office here just with being assaulted with different thoughts, and, and I found myself growing anxious. I found myself struggling, and um, my heart started beating faster because of it. Uh, maybe you've been there. And uh, just, just with a certain issue that I was struggling with, and, and I just said, no, I, this is not where I want to go. And so I just started thinking on Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Jump down to verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. And, and so he says we, we can behold the beauty of of, of the Lord, the beauty of Jesus. And so I just started, and, and, I, and a thought came to me, you know, regardless of what's happening outside of me, um, what I'm doing right now by meditating on the scriptures and thinking on Jesus um, is where I need to be. There's just such a, it's such a good place to be. All the other things are going to happen, <laughs> but this is such a good place to be thinking on Jesus. And that, that is my hope and prayer as we, as we behold him um, in this passage. Um, he, he's so good, and he invites us to come to him. And, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. His yoke of kindness. Let's, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, for your death, for your resurrection, for your ascension. And now, thank you for your word that you have revealed yourself. We love you so much. Thank you that we can behold you in the pages of Scripture and that it is a relational reading that, we, that we're able to do because you are, your word is living and active and you are living and you are active in our lives. We thank you. Help us to lean on you. And if we struggle with belief, we, we cry out like the, like the dad did in Mark 9.24, I do believe, but help my unbelief, Lord. Thank you even for answering that prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.